Welcome to the GovLaunch podcast. GovLaunch is the wiki for local government innovation. And on this podcast, we're sharing the stories of local government innovators and their efforts to build smarter governments. I'm Lindsay Pika Alfano, co-founder of GovLaunch and your host. In a prior episode, I spoke with Clark County, Nevada about their digital transformation underway. Clark County is home to over 2 million people, so it may be easy for smaller local governments to dismiss their efforts, assuming ample resources and staff have enabled them to be successful. We now aim to bring hope to the small to medium-sized cities, councils, and towns who have overcome resource constraints to deliver superior digital services to the communities they serve. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with the City of Unley, Australia, to talk about their Do More With Less approach. We'll chat about their work to deliver a new website, in addition to other results-packed initiatives. So let's hear more about Unley's focus on digital services and people-centered design. Thank you both for joining me today. Can you each introduce yourselves and share a bit about your role? Hi, yeah, my name's Steve Yates. I'm the Spatial and Business Intelligence Analyst for the City of Unley. Um, I'm essentially the council's uh, data guy or data person. Um, so anything data related, I tend to delve into. So in that role, um, I develop and maintain spatial and business intelligence tools. My background is in GIS and spatial, but it's kind of molded into the BI space as well. And focusing on solutions and a bit of integration along the way as well. So yeah, that's that's my role. And hello, I'm Alex Kay. I'm the Digital Transformation Lead with the City of Unley. Uh, my role since starting is to work uh, in the development and delivery of our digital strategy. Um, and since then I've um, been involved in the development of our external facing website. And currently we're building a new intranet. Great. Well, I'm so excited to have you both on the podcast today. Digital transformation is a very hot topic in local government, uh, as you know, especially as we continue to face this pandemic and many are scrambling to move uh, previously paper-based services online. Your city was fortunate to be ahead of the curve on your journey toward more digital and inclusive government. Can you tell us about this evolution? Uh, when did you begin looking toward more digital services and what has your work entailed thus far? Um, I can speak to this one as the digital transformation lead, I guess. Um, I, uh, I work with the um, business systems and solutions team, as does Steve, um, and we um, have leadership via our GM, Nicola Tinning and James Roberts, who developed a digital strategy with me back um, a couple of years ago, probably two and a half years ago. Uh, in that strategy, it was our starting point. And the way Nicola put it, she said that really um, we've got our community goals, the things that we're working on together to deliver um, services and community programs in the city of Unley. And where the technology comes in is it helps us to reach those community goals faster and more efficiently. So it's it's not talking about digital as the lead of the conversation. It's using digital as an enabler to that. So I think our starting point for transformation, the conversations we we're having around it with the strategy were to focus on three guiding principles, which we outlined as streamlining our service delivery around our customers and having conversations about the importance of a customer lens on everything we do. 
and empowering our workforce in that conversation so that we're onboarding our staff with technology, helping them to have empathy for a customer perspective, because often it means putting a different mindset on when you're designing what you do around someone else and then embracing smart technology wherever possible. So the technology was a huge part of that conversation, but we tried to um, position our strategy around people, um, the people we were designing for and the people that we were partnering with um, to do things in that way. Yeah, and I wanna to get to the people-centered design piece, but first, what strategies have you used to engage with your community to determine the areas of focus for the digital transformation team? You know, obviously there's a, a bunch of different areas uh, that you can move more digital. Um, where did you decide where to start? Well, I guess for me, from my personal experience, um, a good case study for that would be the website. I think a lot of people, as we know, are transacting with our all tiers of government online. And so for us, we did a lot of research um, in the transition of our new website from its previous version, which was more designed around um, customer comms to one which was more designed around service delivery. So in doing that um, research, which was um, quite deep, we did a lot of desktop research in the lead up. And we also um, uh, held workshops with our staff and really listened to our frontline workers in our customer experience team, um, all of our depot staff, the people that interact one-on-one -on -one with, with people. And the aim of doing that was to determine, well, our approach was to, to start with our top tasks, especially in a website format. The majority of um, the people that come to your website are most commonly looking for key key things that they're trying to achieve when they're there. What we ended up doing was um, all of this research was combined to create some top tasks, which we could then prioritise on the website. Um, both in terms of where they sat in the menu, <clears throat> so people could discover them very easily, and also in terms of how we strategically rolled out online services on the website. So transitioning, um, you know, paper-based forms to online forms is obviously a big, big part of that, but also redesigning service delivery around that forms transformation one by one, um, looking at um, the most common things that people need. The other thing I would add is that in the development of those top tasks in our website menu, we did a lot of customer surveys online. It's very important to look um, customer lens and some in-person card sorting. So it was about a year ago that we were doing this and we had people from different demographics coming in to look at the assumptions we'd made about the things they were looking for and what they would call them and ask them you know, where they would um, position them and designed the architecture and menu structure of our website around customer feedback. Great. I want to talk about how human-centered design or people-centered design has really influenced your digital transformation efforts citywide. Uh, do you have an example or two that you could share of, um, of something that you've implemented that really highlights uh, how focused you all have been on human-centered design? Yeah, look, I think for me, the concept of human-centered design really is is sort of a twofold thing. And I mentioned previously just then about the, um, the pillars of our digital strategy. Two of those are about streamlining service delivery around the customer and empowering our workforce. So what the people-centered design framework really has done is two things. One, it's an agile project delivery framework. And the principles of which, which many people would know, is to deliver things iteratively. So to put stuff out as you know, minimal viable product and then iterate it 
after getting customer feedback. The framework itself teaches people to collaborate in ways and test things uh, and then change um, change their design um, to suit. So it helps with that. It also helps, you know, before you start the process, the framework gets everyone in the room to really determine what problems you're trying to solve and gets everyone on the same page. And you learn how to best engage with each other and the communities that you're designing for. So on that side, it's sort of project managers, but on the other side, it's it's empowering our workforce. So we've based one of our pillars to support staff through change. And I think that people-centered design, human-centered design, um, what that does is it, it helps you to sit with the people that manage the services that you are redesigning <clears throat> so that they get a good customer perspective. Um, and you're nurturing them through the change because often when you step through their processes, if they've become a bit clunky over time, <clears throat> you're actually working with people to streamline that, which involves change. So I think having that conversation is helpful. Um, I mean, the best example I can speak to is the um, the website again, obviously, because we had great staff support for that. They all understood, um, you know, the, the principles behind that and were very very collaborative. I think, Steve, maybe are there any examples you'd like to talk to about more specific services that we've transformed? Yeah, some of our um, services that we've transitioned onto the new website that have, you know, been part of that whole design ethos. Uh, one, one, one example would be moving our development applications online, uh, which is where people can come in and have a look um, and track the, the the DA as we call it um, for their property. It could be for a garage or a house or something that they have to go through council for approval. Um, went through a process of um, putting that online using some of the tools that we have um, to build that integration. And yeah, it's it's provided a really easy endpoint. I mean, it was a bit of work from the back end, but um, for the customer, they don't have to jump out to different systems or different looking websites or anything. It's all part of that same um, website that we use, uh, which is really good. Great. Well, I know from the citizen experience, it often they don't understand the vast number of companies, their vendors that local governments are engaged with to deliver all these services. And it can feel very incongruent and choppy to get anything accomplished with your local government, any work to try to improve that user experience from the design perspective and then in terms of just the tools available, I think is is really powerful. Your website relaunch is relatively new, but you have some other digital services that, that have been released for a bit now uh, with some really good analytics to show their effectiveness. Can you share perhaps one or two of these projects and the material benefits you've seen since deployment? Yeah, I can talk to that. Um, so we had a project to take our uh, parking expiations uh, online. We had a previous um, process which was very paper-based, very manual driven um, and from end to end we, we took that digital using the same um, kind of people-centered design and um, process to look at look at the experience first before using the technology. Obviously the technology played a, a big, big role but you know taking this very paper-based, process-heavy um, expiation project. Um, we placed everything online. We streamlined all the reporting from it. We can, you know, garner usage analytics quite easily. Um, basically, the process would be members of the public can come and pay their expiation or view their photos online without having to go through a long uh, litigative sort of process of 
hey, can I please see my photo or um, why was I parked here incorrectly or et cetera, et cetera. This just streamlined that whole process um, and gave us increased efficiencies. Um, and people could pay their fine um, or the expiation online immediately because they could see the photo and sometimes they would see it and go, yep, I was parked incorrectly. And, and that kind of end-to-end, -end, instead of them opening up a customer request to us with a phone call, then running through a huge review process, that could take weeks. Um, in many cases, they could say, yes, I've, I've done the incorrect thing and I can, I can pay it. Or they can look at the photo and say, oh, I, I actually want to dispute that and they can dispute it online as well. It just allowed us to really increase that efficiency uh, from end to end and give a better experience for members of the public um, and be a bit more open and transparent about um, you know, expiations and fines. And you know, we had about a 60 to 70% reduction in work hours to process these requests. So, which is quite quite a change. We dashboard all, all, all of that through our through our BI tools to really easily visualise that uh, internally as well. To say, you know, this really backs up the data. The data really backs up what we're doing, and that that's quite an important aspect to all of this. Is to um, you 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 put these processes in, but you need the data to feed into the analytics to say yes. Um, it has been a success, or why hasn't not been a success? So, to get a to get a really big reduction like that was really signifies a a good uh, success story, and you know it frees up people to do better things um, internally as well. So, yeah, I mean the other the other one that I talked about earlier was putting our development applications online. Again, that's providing a digital service online. We had a previous um, online method that used uh, a different third-party application and a different website that you'd have to go to. And you know, there was there was often issues with how it would look and put the data up, and it was a bit clunky. So with our new website, we're able to build uh, integration from our development applications internally using open web standards. Um, and no code and low code solution. So um, it's using our Azure. Uh, Microsoft Azure uh, integration using Logic Apps um, without getting too techy. Um, it would basically grab the data from our on-premise and put it onto the website in a really nice, easy to use way. Uh, there's no code that you really have to do and it's we haven't had to pay a developer to do anything. We've done it all ourselves in-house uh, pretty much with not using any coding, um, which has been really, really, really good. So yeah, there's a couple of good examples of of providing those digital services, which are, you know, helping the community a bit and, and helping ourselves. Yeah, it's great. And for our US-based uh, local governments <laughs> that may not be as familiar with expiation as a term, you're referring to the process of paying parking fines, that, correct? That's, that's correct. That, that, great, that's our right. terminology, but yes, it's parking fines. Are there any particular products, I know you touched on this a little bit, uh, but are there any particular products or vendors you've been working with as part of your digital transformation? Or would you say a majority of these tools have been developed in-house? Um, I'll, I'll start off in this way, if you, if you don't mind, Alex. I was going to say, yeah, a lot of these have been off the shelf uh, sort of thing. So a, a big one from the tech perspective has been you're just using our Microsoft and Azure environment um, and using Microsoft Teams for that collaboration aspect. That has been pretty pivotal. And, and in terms of BI reporting and analytics, using our, our Power BI and just the entire Power platform um, from a tech perspective and, and getting a lot of these processes going. Um, so yeah, the stuff that we've developed in-house has been using off-the-shelf products, um, which is easily 
interoperable between, you know, if, if someone moves on or a project changes, someone else can just come in and, and, and take over without having too much technical expertise, which has been really important. Yeah, partner with, I think partnerships is the word that comes up for me. We have been quite lucky to partner with, with vendors that have a similar approach to, to the work that we do. So most certainly for the, the website, we partnered with uh, Open Cities um, and we've got their Open Forms product as well, which is very DIY um, kind of affair and uh, enabled us to sort of build out the website ourselves and um, get staff across the business to pop in and edit their own content, um, uh, which is great. And they obviously those these kinds of projects don't finish. They are continually evolving over time. Um, uh, going back a step before that, we partner with um, Atomics in Adelaide to help us to collate all of that data and wrangle it back and do a lot of that customer research. I think that was um, incredibly useful doing that before we even did the build. We had a, a blueprint before we went out. So that partnership was great. Um, the other thing I would say is that um, speaking to just, you know, in terms of that expiation review, we have been working a lot with our content authors to um, to write in plain language. So we did some plain language training um, as well as writing for the web to sort of build up that skill base. And again, um, especially with the plain language, it's getting um, empathy for um, all the various uh, people that use your website. And again, it's, a, it's an evolving thing. We're sort of getting better at it over time. And it really ties back to the human-centered design piece, being cognizant of the language that you're using when you're communicating with your residents. They don't have the industry knowledge that you have and the expertise. So um, being able to really break it down in, in layman's terms uh, is is a valuable skill. And, so, and a lot of local governments have overlooked that um, in, in development of, um, of online resources. So shifting gears a little, Alex, I think our audience would be really surprised to know that you don't have a technical background. Um, you'd argue it isn't necessary to lead digital transformation efforts. Um, but I think a lot of folks liken digital transformation to tech. Can you share with us what skills you feel are most applicable to your work as a digital transformation lead and how you can be a driver of technology initiatives without that expertise? Yeah, look, I think our staff would realize that I'm not a technical person. <laughs> Often the conversations I lead in with, um, everyone knows that about me. I think the key principle that I come to this kind of work with is as a storyteller, I guess, because it's it's how well you um, tell the stories of what you're doing um, either in the build of tech or in the communication using the technology platforms that you've got that um, help it do the job. Um, again, viewing that technology as a tool to, um, to get us where we need to be. So I think, um, yeah, so without having that technology technology knowledge, um, I mean, the principles of um, human-centred design is to do across council collaborations between subject holders, um, um, designers and builders, you know, working together to understand who each other are and to understand the customer and to slow down and actually, um, yeah, it's all about communication really and those kinds of skills, engagement, communication, um, you know, mapping stuff out from someone else's perspective that's more about um, storytelling and communication than it is about the technology. So I think if you if you do slow down and you do that kind of work at the head, 
um, then you're empowering the designers and the builders to um, design technology that you need, as well as um, empowering um, subject experts early on. So the onboarding to that technology is much easier because they've got buy-in and they've had um, input into what comes out the other end if you're building stuff or designing it. It's fantastic and really would go far beyond even just being a digital transformation lead. I think you made a lot of great points there that it really comes down to communication and leadership and being able to ask the right questions and surround yourself with people who do have that expertise. Um, and I, I would encourage others in local government in any leadership type position to not shy away from some of these more scary innovation initiatives, if you will. If you really build this culture of innovation and surround yourself with a strong team, you can do a lot of really amazing things, even if you don't have all of the expertise yourself. Oh, I was, uh, so I was just going to say, because, um, you know, I've got a fairly technical background. I'm not, I'm not a programmer by any, any means, but the trick has been just having simple tools and, you know, there's low to no code options available to you. And if you do need those high level tech skills for a project or a transformation thing that you need to do, you, know, you just call upon those as you need them. Um, but you want good transference um, from what is done. So, you know, a, a lot of the things that we've been doing have been things that people can actually pick up and run with regardless of their technical level in many cases. And I think that's pretty important. I just thought I'd add that because yeah, the, the leadership is what is what really matters around this instead of, you know, just purely techni technical skills. It's almost like you want to remove the, the technical aspect from the planning in the first place and then, then figure that out as you go. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's really important for success. And Steve, uh, you are more of the tech, the tech guy, um, and you work on um, some internal processes too. I know we've talked a lot about digital transformation mm. and how that is impacting the community and Alex's great work there with her team. Can you talk a little bit more about what your role has contributed to the organization? Sure. Um, so a, a lot of the work that I do focus on is business intelligence. So before I came on board, um, a lot of processes and reporting and analytics well, analytics wasn't really done too much, but it was all very uh, manual based, counting off a screen, using spreadsheets, um, you know, taking stabs in the dark at, at what we think is going on. So uh, one thing that I've been working on oh, probably the last 12 to 18 months is automating a lot of our corporate reporting. Um, and we've been using Power BI for that. So the Power BI platform, which has been kind of pivotal in that. So Previously, um, feeding data up to the exec level and then the elected member level involved many jumps through hoops um, where someone would have a spreadsheet with data spat out from some system and they would summarize it themselves and then pass that on to the manager. And there was a lot of, lot of um, information lost between the way. And so we, di we didn't really know what KPIs we were reporting against. We didn't know if we were being successful, not successful, what the trends were across the business. So part of my role has been to automate that and obviously using Power BI. So I went through a giant process of meeting with uh, all the different departments in question and kind of figuring out what they currently report on now. Um, and this is this is ongoing. This is this is probably never going to end. Um, so figuring out what they report on, how they do it, what they want to see, uh, what needs to be fed up to executive, and then writing the modeling within Power BI for that. Um, and packaging that all up as some really nice, fancy looking reports and then 
publishing that and just because the way Power BI is, is architected, it, it, it refreshes itself. So there's once it's set up and it's good to go, um, it all gets fed in automatically. Then, you know, using Microsoft Teams, we have like a corporate performance reporting team where people who are all um, ownership of that they own data across, you know, several parts of the organization, they all collaborate there and we add comments that automatically gets put into the report as well. It's this one giant process that's really easy to look after um, and that gets fed right up through executive and into the elected members uh, every quarter. And it's basically taken many, many hours and weeks of work because often some, the, a reporting period would finish and then they would start getting ready for the next one and that would take three months. Whereas now, the reporting period ends, um, they just have a look at the, the data's already there, the visuals are already there, and it's done. Um, it's, it's very little interaction. So that's that's probably um, one of the big time-saving and just great things about um, some of the technology that we've been uh, using. The other thing that we've worked on is when, you know, the COVID um, pandemic hit and, you know, it came through Australia, came through Adelaide, and we had to send workers home. We had to go through a process of obviously like most local governments and councils figuring out how people are gonna work from home and what what equipment they're gonna have and use and how we're gonna connect in um, back to work. And at this stage, we had, um, we had Skype installed, but it wasn't quite perfect. So within about a week, uh, two weeks tops, we rolled out teams across the organization and did training. So there was a, a big work piece around that. Um, and then we also I automated a few processes to get people asking, you know, their, their um, application to work from home, what equipment they needed, um, and whether it would be approved by their manager and the general manager above them. So, you know, all that hierarchical decisions that have to be made. So we used Power Automate, which is, you know, Microsoft's flow uh, low-code solution, which is a bit like Logic Apps. So I built some Microsoft form and processes around that. So when someone would apply for work from home, it would send a Teams message off to their manager to approve. They'd press the approve button and that would then go across to their GM and then they could either press the approve or the, you know, not, not approve button. And this whole process was built within about a day. Um, that's what the power of the uh, Power Platform is, I guess that kind of sells itself if you say it's the power of it, that's the power platform. Um, so the the really good thing about that is we were able to get um, set up for work from home and get that going through just some real automation practices using some of those Microsoft flows, um, using Teams. And I don't know if anyone who's listening would would know, but there you can you can create adaptive cards within Teams as well, which are little, little really nicely constructed um, notifications from uh, the the flow bot within Microsoft Flow uh, that doesn't look like a really awful looking message. You can you can make it look nice with pictures and you know even throughout this we created a, uh, a an Unley bot. We call him Unley bot and he's a little robot that talks to people. So we use him for whenever we do anything automated related. So you know it takes kind of that you know um, disconnect that people might have having a computer tell them that something's happened and it's got a little only bot that, you know, bleep bloops at them and, and things like that. So, yeah, so it was a process of um, taking people's approvals for wanting to work from home, streamlining it so there wasn't a lot of emails flying back and forth. It all existed in Teams. It was all automatic and people were able to work from home without really um, 
or get that approval without having to actually go jump through lots of hoops. It, it all landed in people's team's inboxes essentially um, and went that way. So that was quite a quite a good success under a really, really short time frame. And you know, props to the rest of the, <laughs> our team that all pulled together to get that one going. Yeah, fantastic. Um, my last question that I want each of you to address is uh, what's something that excites you about the future of the city of Unley? I think further to everything that Steve was just saying, and it was good to listen to that because obviously that was happening, a lot of that grunt work was happening behind the scenes and I knew everyone was, you know, um, heads down and, and getting things done. But, you know, it sounds like they developed a really great process for that and it did roll out really well. So I think as a as a culture, as an organisation, there's a skills development and um, um, an understanding and an openness to, to change that sort of gets, it moves over time, it grows over time and um, all the conversations we've had about um, customer first um, um, design and communication, um, that's the thing that excites me because I think we've got a great um, organisation that's supportive and, you know, doing their best with legacy systems and ways of doing things. It's it's not easy and it, it takes time and it's iterative, um, but um, we're coming from a good base, I think, that's growing now. So, um, yeah, that's what would excite me. Yeah, um, just along those trends, what, what what excites me is yeah, handing that power back to the customer. And in a lot of our cases, that customer is an in, internal person to our organisation, but also to external people too. And speaking of you know internal people and internal customers, you just you don't want. It's nice to see the change from IT is going to answer all our questions, where it's now developing, and it's it's a slow process of people going, actually, I can solve my own problems. And we have the tools and the ability to do that and help them along the way. Just going along for that ride is actually really exciting and fun. Um, you know, it's no longer a, a technical view of, of digital services. Um, just having that human view is actually something that I've learned, you know, because being quite the tech head, um, you, didn't, you don't quite get it. But when you start seeing what it all means, uh, being digital first, technology is not actually not the answer in, in many cases. Uh, I mean, you end up using it, but it's not the reason. Um, and, you know, using those low and no code solutions that you can build in-house uh, with relatively low skill sets um, that, that are all transferable, um, user-driven analytics, that, that excites me as well. Um, you know, people actually taking ownership over their thing instead of relying on one or two people within the organisation to do everything excites me. Yeah, and I think I'd add to that too. We're, we're fortunate to work in a council that's got leadership which supports this work. To actually um, employ someone as a digital transformation lead, you know, two and a half years ago was pretty good. There weren't many jobs going around for that um, kind of um, skill base back at that time because I was looking, you know, and, um, yeah, thinking, I don't know, what, there aren't jobs written for what I do, and then I found one. So, um, yeah, I would acknowledge um, uh, our leadership team too in this, in this chat because um, they've been very supportive of this and lead conversations around it. Yeah, that has been really important aspect. It's it's come from the top down for this this transformation to occur. So yeah, big props for that. Yes, definitely. And and the support of leadership and council is extremely important, as you all know. And this is something that a lot of local governments, a lot of really great innovative folks struggle with as they don't have the support of leadership. Um, in the same way that you've just described. So uh, let this be an inspiration to other local governments out there. And thanks so much for sharing your work, Steve and Alex. And your website looks great. Uh, we're excited to see you guys continue on your digital transformation journey. 
and uh, keep up the great work in Unley. Uh, thanks, Lindsay. That's great. Thanks, Lindsay. Great to talk to you. For those of you interested in pursuing digital transformation efforts, the city of Unley is a great case study, which shows the efficiency pickups associated with deployment of these tools, not to mention the benefits to engage the wider community. We want to commend Unley's attention to accessibility in their deployment to deliver more inclusive digital tools to their community. With the pandemic still in full swing, we can all clearly see the need for more inclusive digital services and better ways to engage with the community when face-to-face -face is not an option. We're seeing local governments across the world now leveraging more products to enable digital services and shifting their focus on these digital resources, which we hope are here to stay. I'm Lindsay Pika Alfano, and this podcast was produced by GovLaunch, the wiki for local government innovation. You can subscribe to hear more stories like this wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a local government innovator, we hope you'll help us on our mission to build the largest free resource for local governments globally. You can join to search and contribute to the wiki at govlaunch.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you next time on the GovLaunch podcast.